According to me, the show where perception is reality, facts matter, and the truth will set you free. Um, on today's episode, uh, I want to talk about something that's been bugging me for a while. So I, our world seems like it's changing constantly. It's just churning and churning and churning. The only thing that doesn't seem to be changing is the members of Congress. Uh, they always seem to be the same. The leadership always stays the same. And they very seldom get a lot done, if anything at all. And most of it is contentious at best. Um, so today we're going to talk about term limits. Um, it's something that you've probably heard talked about, uh, but you may not be extremely familiar with. So I'm going to educate a little bit today, and then we're going to pass along information um, so that we can learn how we as normal American citizens can impact term limits for our senators. So without further ado, I'm going to take you to my now world-famous PowerPoint presentation, and we'll get this party started. So today's show is called Congressional Term Limits, America's Real Problem. Um, and that is America's real problem because uh, we have people sitting in the, in the Congress right now that, uh, number one, I just don't think they have America's best interests at heart. They only have their own. Um, and number two, they are hurtling us towards a dangerous time in our country. Um, and it, it's very, very important that we understand that and that we can do something about it. So before we get started, I want to do a knowledge check. Uh, to make sure that we all understand the, the point of the conversation and the subject matter. Um, so I'm going to ask you a few questions and you can answer at home because I can't hear you. Um, the first question is, is there a term limit for the president? And the answer, of course, is yes. Uh, a president may serve two back-to-back four-year terms for a maximum of eight years. Is there a term limit for the U.S. House of Representatives? Well, no, there's not. Um, they can serve for as long as they want. Um, how often are elections held for the House of Representatives? Those happen every two years. So it's a big event coming up in November of this year because every single member of the House of Representatives, um, as it does happen every other year, is up for re-election. So that's how Congress can swing wildly. And if you notice, it swings, but it never really swings that far for very long. Um, now, are there term limits for the U.S. Senate uh, for senators? And the answer, of course, is no. Um, how often are those elections held in the U.S. Senate? And that would be every six years, a um, little bit longer period of time, but the Senate is actually the deliberative branch of the, uh, or the deliberative body of the uh, United States Congress. So that's where they decide laws. Um, and so they need to be there longer and on a more consistent time frame because sometimes legal arguments take longer to figure out um, than a two-year period. There's things sometimes that are argued for years and years on end. I don't necessarily agree with it. However, that is the fundamental understanding of why they're there much longer than the House of Representatives. So you may be a little bit confused at this point, like most people are, and um, especially younger people, because they just don't teach us very much in school anymore. They may breeze across this, but they really don't want you to know because a dumb, scared community is much easier to control than an educated one. Next, let's take a little history lesson. And this one deals specifically with the House of Representatives, although it really kind of can encompass the entire congressional argument together. Um, so originally, uh, the Constitution, as you can see there, Article 1, Section 4, provided that Congress should assemble at least once per year. Um, it's important that we know that they have to assemble at least once per year. Um, and such a meeting shall be held on the first Monday in December, blah, 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 blah. That's kind of when it all started. Um, and they did that. Uh, the first one convened on March the 4th, and this was under the new Constitution, but it convened on March the 4th in 1789. Um, and from that moment up until May 20th of 1820, 18 acts were passed providing for the meeting of Congress on other days of the year. So from 1789 to 1820, once a year was pretty much fine. It may be for four or five days at a time or two weeks or a month at a time. Uh, but 
they passed it because they said, hey, we're going to need to be here more often. So what happened? Why did they need to be there more often? Well, when the country first started, there were, uh, there were not near as many people. There were not near as many states. Um, and so smaller population, less land mass, less time. Um, now, I would argue that the things that they were deliberating and deciding on had much more importance to the birth of a nation um, than what we do today. Um, and we're going to touch on a little bit of that as we go through the presentation today. Um, so roughly around 1820, they started passing acts that required them to be there a little bit longer. So this is the beginning of Congress starting to stretch a little bit and, and, and say, uh, you know, we need, we need to be around more often. Things are moving quicker than we can make decisions. And, and I don't necessarily disagree with that. Um, up until that point, they were meeting in New York City, and then they moved to Philadelphia. And then by the time we got to the sixth one, which would have been, I guess, roughly 12 years later, um, the Congress then moved to Washington, D.C., and that's where they reside today. The 20th Amendment of the Constitution, proclaimed and ratified on February 6, 1933, established noon on the third day of January as the meeting date. So it stayed consistent with the Constitution and how it was written, but they did move the date from, the, uh, from, from December to the third of January. And those of you who watched my series on uh, election education, uh, you may remember the third of January is a date that is, uh, it's done for joint sessions of Congress. Um, and the reason that they do that is because that's the time that all the votes are tabulated to determine who's going to be in the Congress. Um, and they all agree on it and say everything's good. So that's why that date moves there. And then everything else subsequently follows after that. Um, so that's kind of how it happened. So it, it really kind of, when I read this, it, it makes me wonder um, when they were building a nation, and again, much smaller and fewer people, I understand that. And, and quite honestly, they didn't want to rotate out uh, senators and uh, House of Representatives uh, very quickly and put term limits on them. And, and it's basically because we were not a very educated people at the time. Uh, the entire country was made up of farmhands uh, who were not very well educated. Most couldn't read or write. So there was really only a select group of people in this country that were educated enough to uh, help make the laws. Um, and so they didn't want to rotate them out very often. Uh, not to mention a lot of the travel was was treacherous and people died. I mean, it, it just happened. People died on the roads all the time. So, um, but today we just don't have those problems. Uh, there's just, uh, millions and millions and millions of educated people in this country. And, and a lot of you are watching that show right now. Um, and, and so it, it begs the question of why are they there making $175,000 a year, by the way, um, all year long, which by the way, and not a lot of people realize this, they really only work 130 days a year. Uh, the rest of the time they're on vacation. So what the hell are they doing there all that time? That's really what I want to know. And it, it, it's really kind of confusing. Well, let, let's take a look and see if we can figure it out. Well, they're making laws, of course. <laughs> um, and I snipped out for, for some fun. I snipped out the uh, top nine, if you will. I was going to be top 10, but I cut my picture off early. Um, uh, of dumb laws in this country. And you can see that you can't open an umbrella on the street in Alabama and dominoes can't be played on Sunday in Alabama and you can't throw confetti in Alabama. Uh, you can't have flamingos in a barber shop in Alaska. Not real sure how flamingos got to Alaska, but apparently we wrote a law for it. Uh, can't deny somebody a glass of water. That's actually a good law, especially in Arizona. Uh, dogs can't bark after 6 p.m. Spitting is only permitted on baseball diamonds. Uh, it's illegal to collect rainwater. <laughs> I don't know why we need that as a law, but we have it. Uh, and it's illegal for car dealers to show cars on Sundays. That one I actually kind of like. If you know car dealers, I'm not big fans of theirs, but nonetheless, you can't do it on a Sunday in Colorado. 
Um, so there's a lot of crap going around and, and it's really the fact that they're just trying to justify their existence in Congress while they're there all year long collecting boatloads of money. So how many laws are actually in the United States that they spend all that time there? Well, the reality is nobody knows. Uh, I checked several sites and nobody really has an exact number on how many laws there are currently in the United States. Uh, and the, the fun part is there, nobody can really count that high. Uh, they've been accumulating for, well, over 200 years, obviously. Um, when they first started codifying them, meaning they, you know, the statutory codes and penal codes and that type of stuff in 1927, um, every law in the country fit into one single volume. Uh, by the 1980s, there were 50 volumes of more than 23,000 pages, and that was 40 years ago. So I'm not going to stretch my mind out and try to do the math around that on how it would extrapolate out, but I can promise you it's way more laws than we need, and it's a complete waste of time, effort, money, and taxes, I believe. But nonetheless, that's the country that we live in. The answer is term limits. Uh, we can stop them from making all those stupid laws and really cut down the amount of time that they're there if we were to impose term limits, which as we've already discussed, are not in place right now. Um, in the meantime, they're just gonna continue to write dumb law after dumb law after dumb law. Now there are actually uh, several states out there, I believe Texas is one of them, where they still only meet once a year for a short period of time and they do their business and then they go back home. Um, and that's what should happen in the United States Congress. That's how it was designed. They were not meant to be there 24-7, 365. Uh, they were meant to be there for a short period of time, make educated decisions on the issues of the day, and then go back to being lawyers or business owners or whatever it was that they did. Not to stay there and, and get uh, free health care and 175 grand every year for the rest of their lives, which is actually what happens. So uh, what are the arguments in favor of term limits? Um, well, People will tell you that restricting lawmakers um, to how much time they can spend there uh, will keep them from amassing too much power in Washington and becoming alienated from their constituents, um, which I can tell you if you follow anything in Congress, both of those things happen on an everyday basis. Um, the thinking is that many lawmakers view their work as a career and not a temporary assignment and therefore spend much of their time posturing raising money for their reelection campaigns and running for office instead of focusing on the issues. Um, those who favor term limits, like myself, uh, we tend to think that they would remove the intense focus on politics and put it back on policy. Uh, there are people, obviously, that would argue against that and tell you that it's a bad idea for term limits, but for most of us, we think that they should probably focus on policy instead of politics. That's what politics is, is you're lobbying against other politicians instead of doing your damn job, uh, which is to focus on policy. Um, so uh, if there were only some examples of how they're possibly focused on politics instead of policy, maybe we could actually make the argument for term limits. Remember this. Uh, this is, and I pulled this one because it's the most recent one, although they happen every single day if you're really paying attention. Uh, this was the Russian connection um, and the collusion uh, and the hoax and uh, all of those things, the, the steel dossier. I mean, we've all heard it a million times. But I thought this interesting and I wanted to share it with you that the TV news, and that's how we get our information is through the media, right? We don't talk to Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer or even Donald Trump. We see them through the eyes of the media. It's the only way we get information. Well, the news media from May 17th through June 20th during that time period fo focused on the Russia investigation 353 minutes. And look how quickly everything else falls behind that. It's, it's really quite astounding. 
uh, that such major uh, discussions of the day, such as climate change, and that's a show for a completely different day. I'm not going to voice my opinion here, but only garnered 47 minutes. That's it. 29 minutes on terrorism versus the Russian hoax that everybody knew was a hoax the entire time. It just seems absurd. Now look at the economy. Five minutes. Five minutes on the economy. Five minutes on infrastructure spending. Less than one minute on tax reform. I think we just proved our point, right? Here's a really interesting thing, and, I, and for me it was. So all of this, 353 minutes during that time period, it, it outranks everything on that list by tenfold. Here's what the Russian uh, investigation actually got us. For all that time of just being crammed down our throats, they used 16 lawyers, 13 investigators, 40 FBI agents. They issued 2,800 subpoenas. They uh, issued over 500 search warrants. We had over 500 witnesses. Mm -hmm. They spent over $10 million of taxpayer money because they earn our money. They don't do anything. They don't sell a product other than their BS. So $10 million of our money. Uh, they had the assistance of Clapper, Comey, Clinton, and Obama. And they did it for over 22 months, over almost two years during that time period. And what did they get? What did they get for all that time, all that effort, all that manpower? What did they get? Well, they got one shitty lawyer thrown in jail. He's still there. And the founder of National Enquirer. I, I had this conversation with a family member the other day, and I don't want to get too far off topic, but I want to share it because I thought it was pretty prudent. Family member says to me, I can't believe that you're going to vote for Donald Trump again. The guy is so stupid and such a liar. I can't believe that anybody would vote for him. Well, let's try to support your argument for a second. Uh, 16 lawyers, 13 investigators, on and on and on, 500 witnesses, 2,800 subpoenas, and you got diddly shit. So one of two things is true. Either... Trump is a genius and he outfoxed all of you, or Trump is really that dumb and you are that incompetent at your job. That you had all of those witnesses and all of that time and all of that money. Remember when Adam Schiff stood in front of us and said, I have physical evidence that Donald Trump did this. Well, where is it? It's not anywhere. So all that time, all that money, and you got diddly shit for your time and your effort. You people are the most incompetent group of idiots I have ever seen in my entire life. If you think Donald Trump is that dumb and you couldn't catch him at it with all of those resources, why are you making decisions in our lives? But I digress. Let's move on. So we got to stop the madness. That's the thing. I mean, it's just completely out of control. We all know it's out of control, but we feel helpless. We don't feel like we can do anything about it. At least I do up until today. So have we ever tried term limits before? Yeah. We did. Uh, we try them all the time, actually. So in 1995, there was an actual case uh, where they took it to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court ruled five to four um, against, obviously, um, ruled that states cannot impose qualifications for prospective members of the U.S. Congress stricter than those specified in the Constitution. Now, here's the interesting caveat. The uh, Democrats in Congress will tell you that uh, the Constitution is outdated, um, that the gun laws never took into consideration anything that would happen in the future, that every law in there is completely antiquated and should be changed and probably shredded, according to them. 
but this one they cling to like, well, guns and Jesus, right? So they don't want us to listen to anything else in the Constitution except the crap they want us to listen to, which is uh, we, we, we can't have term limits. The Constitution plainly says that there's no term limits. Well, of course, why would you vote to fire yourself and give up all that power? That would just be stupid. But we already know they're pretty stupid. So yeah, we tried it before, but we were denied. That doesn't end though. Um, thank goodness that our framers uh, had things figured out ahead of us. And they knew that uh, eventually, um, considering the way the constitution was written, that we would be exactly where we are. So they had to figure out a way to help us out. And that way is called a convention of states. Um, this is where the meat comes in this conversation because I would be willing to bet that the majority of people watching this are not familiar with the convention of states and those uh, who may know what it is uh, really don't know what it is. Uh, they know that it's possible, but they're not really sure how it operates. So I'm going to educate you a little bit here. So Article 5 of the Constitution is where the Convention of States comes into play. That's where the founders put it. It's actually written in there. In layman's terms, the Congress, whenever two-thirds of both houses shall deem it necessary, shall propose amendments to the Constitution or, and this is where we come into play, or on the application of the legislators of two-thirds of the several states, that's all of them, shall call a convention for proposing amendments, which in either case shall be valid to all intents and purposes as part of this constitution, when ratified by the legislature of three-fourths of those several states, or by conventions in three-fourths thereof, as the one or the other mode of ratification may be proposed by the Congress. So what does that mean? Well, that's a lot of fancy talk for amendment. Um, the states can actually amend the Constitution without having to have Congress agree with them. All they need is two-thirds of the states uh, to agree to the convention, and then once they get to the convention, they need three-fourths of those uh, of the entire mass of the states to agree to the amendment, and then it becomes law, and the, and the Congress doesn't get to, to push us out. So the next question is, what does all that mean? Well, it's kind of crazy math, so let me see if we can explain it. So it specifically deals with state legislatures. That's why it's important. It has nothing to do with Congress. We need 34 states, state legislatures, to agree uh, that we should have a convention of states. Once that happens, then you can call for the convention. Then once there, we would need 38 states to move to amend, meaning they need to agree on that legislation uh, to be passed as an amendment to the, to the United States Constitution, um, which means that that amendment would place term limits on Congress and there would be nothing that they could do about it. Pretty exciting stuff, and, and it can actually be done. We just need to figure out how to get there. So how do we get there? That's the real trick. Well, a couple things we need to understand up front. Right now, we have 28 states that have already called for the convention. They have been called for a long time, and you can see those states, and they are outlined there in that mustard color. Um, the uh, kind of reddish mauve color uh, is the, those are the states that are targeted by proponents. So those are the ones that that we're really looking at as the applied states uh, that we think that we can sway. And that's where we spend the majority of our time. The gray states have no pending application, meaning they're not really interested. They have no ideas uh, or, or really don't want to get involved in it. Uh, and so they're staying out of it. They don't even want to vote on it. So we got those of us who really like it, those of us who are on the fence, and those of us who are totally against it. And you can probably start to figure out the direction we're heading here by looking at those states and, and the color grays and, and realizing 
those states are a lot of Democratic states. Here's the really interesting thing. Uh, so in those states, uh, for example, in California and Oregon, you have Pelosi, Schiff, Waters, and Wyden, and you're probably very familiar with most of those people. Pelosi's been in there 33 years, Schiff for 23 years, uh, Waters for 39 years, and Wyden for 24 years. Then you move over to the Midwest and you pick up Dick Durbin for 23 years. You got Chuck Schumer there in New York at 21 years. You got Patrick Leahy, the longest sitting congressman currently uh, in the U.S. Senate at 45 years. Been in there since 1975, I believe it is. Uh, then you scooch on over to the East Coast there and you get DeLauro in Connecticut. She's been there 29 years. You get Poloni in New Jersey, 27 years. And good old sleepy Joe Biden out of Delaware at 47 years. Now, eight of those were uh, working with Barack Obama's vice president, but still in government for 48 years or 47 years. So collectively, what does that mean? That means collectively these idiots on average have been in office for 30 years. Now, if you went back to slide one and we talked about how often they elect House representatives, that would tell you that if they are a House of Representative member on this screen, they have been elected no less than 15 times. 15 times. Uh, and the senators have been elected no less than five times. They get elected every six years. So simple math takes you into five times. So five times they've been elected, uh, been in there for 30 years, and the average for the House of Representatives has been an average of 15 times that they've been elected. That's just absolute insanity. Um, you know, the whole idea of us seceding from our, uh, you know, seeking our independence from England was to get out, on, out from under a monarchy or what is essentially a dictatorship. This is the same damn thing. It's just spread out amongst several people. So what do we do? Um, we got to figure out how to deal with that. Well, I want to show you something else first before we talk about the solution to the problem. Out of those 28 states, I wanted to lay down a different map. And this one is how the states typically vote or have been over the last several elections. Red states, obviously Republican, blue states, Democrat. It doesn't take you long to figure out the correlation between those states. So you can look and you can see the blue states are pretty much the gray states. And if they're not gray, they are mauve. Uh, but for the majority, they are the gray states. Um, interesting how that works out, right? Republicans are all in favor of term limits and Democrats are not. I wonder why that would be. Well, we all know why that would be. So what do we need to do to move this ball down the field? Well, we need to pick up these states. I think we can pick up Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, Arizona, uh, Wisconsin, those are all mob states and they're all Republican held states currently. We can also pick up Maine. We got Susan Collins. Uh, we should be able to pick up South Carolina and Kentucky. Uh, Virginia could be a swing. Uh, it's a lot of uh, gerrymandering, which is another topic for another show. It's a very complicated thing to discuss, uh, but we could pick up Virginia and that would push us into the convention of states with 34. And then every state would have to attend because there is a convention of states. And then it's just a matter of convincing uh, four more states to, uh, to support the uh, institution of term limits into the constitution as an amendment. So it's a lot of work to do, Jason. How do we do it? Well, it, it's actually uh, pretty simple and it's part of being an American and uh, we need to get behind it. So the first thing you're gonna need to do is you're gonna need to go to usa.gov um, and that's just the first thing. And then the second thing you're gonna do is scroll down the page until you see state elected officials and there's a click button there for state legislators. This will show you every state legislator in your state. All you gotta do is click on your state and it'll tell you who it is. Uh, they have email addresses, they have physical addresses, they have phone numbers. Um, 
for those of you who may not know what to write or how to get this started, I gave you a nice little format over there and I'll read it to you. Dear, insert your name here. That would be the name of the legislator, not your name. I'm a registered voter in your state and I'm calling upon you to introduce legislation that will support our state's participation in a convention of states. Furthermore, I insist that you do so specifically, but not limited to supporting an amendment to the Constitution that will impose term limits on all members of Congress, in which they will not be allowed to exceed two terms in a lifetime, but may seek higher office if they choose. I look forward to seeing this action as an ongoing part of our party platform, which will aid in my continuing support of your leadership in our state. So they can run for Congress twice, and then once they're done with that, unless they're going to be president or vice president, they have to go away. And I think that that is a healthy way for us to run our country. So my final thoughts. As always, democracy's hard. Um, nobody ever said it was going to be easy. If it was easy, every country in the world would do it, and there's a reason why they don't, because it's hard. you got to be committed to it. Next, be uniquely American. That's what being an American is. It's doing the hard things. You've got to make the hard things easy. And it takes a lot of us to do it. There's a lot of people in this country. And all we have to do is line up behind one another and flex our muscle. And we can get wherever we want with whomever we want. And next, remember, you are the we and we the people. It's not anybody else. It's you. So if you're looking around waiting on somebody to do something, it's you. It's not everybody else. It starts with you. So I'd like to thank you for your time today. Uh, I hope you uh, enjoyed it. I enjoyed putting it together as I always do. Um, I love the presentation and the teaching part of it. Um, I look forward to seeing you all again soon on our next episode. Um, and until then, vote fast and vote often. We love you, baby. Peace.